In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. For the last few months, Governor Kemp has opposed local mask mandates. He's even explicitly outlawed them in one of his summer orders. Well, that's all changed. And here to talk about it today is Jeremy Redman, AJC Enterprise reporter who's been all over the, the battle between uh, Governor Kemp and Mayor Bottoms over mask mandates and everything in between. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. Greg, glad to be with you again. Again, it's uh, red and blue or blue and red back together again. And there you go. We're very bipartisan here. Well, let's lay the scene. So the governor signed an order way back in April, actually, that barred cities and counties from doing anything more or less restrictive than the state. That meant curfews, that meant economic restrictions, and that meant mask mandates were out of the question, right? Yeah, right. Um, So a lot of cities that went ahead anyway, and there are about 15 that we know of, uh, according to the Georgia Municipal Association, that moved ahead and required masks um, citywide, including Savannah, Augusta, Athens, and Atlanta, of course. And then there were another 100 cities that said, look, you know, we need to protect our employees in our government buildings. So they required masks in their municipal government buildings. Yeah, and the Savannah led the charge back in July. They they passed a mask mandate with a pretty hefty fine, um, and said that they, you know essentially it was a public safety concern. There, the Savannah's mayor Van Johnson was worried about tourists um, coming to the city and not wearing masks. He was worried about residents, and business owners, and, and everyone in between um, spreading the disease. Even though even though Chatham County has not been a what we'd say is a hot spot in in Georgia, at least with with the with the disease. Um, he wanted to take sort of preemptive action, um, and at first the governor didn't really push back much. I mean, I I asked his office that same day how they felt about Savannah defying his his order, and and there was really no comment, uh, or no strong comment at least. And the next day I saw Governor Kemp as he as he launched a uh, statewide wear a mask tour and asked him. Uh, specifically what he thought about Savannah's decision. And he kind of sidestepped the question and said, look, you know, I, I haven't read the uh, their ordinance yet, but I, I'm just encouraging everyone to wear a mask. He always has said that he doesn't believe that um, that mandates will do the job as well as just peer pressure, encouraging, you know, uh, folks to wear masks. Even though there has been a consensus among public health experts, the mask mandates are one of the most effective tools to contain the spread of the disease. Right. The the science on this, according to the experts we've talked to, Greg, uh, is settled, according to them. They say, look, it's clear that masks work, um, that if you're really going to try to stop the prevent, you know, try to prevent the spread of COVID-19, you got to wear a mask. 
And so they are just um, beside themselves watching this legal battle that's sort of playing out between the governor and the city of Atlanta. As you know, Kemp sued Atlanta to block uh, the restrictions they were putting in place, including a mask mandate, um, but did not sue any of the other cities. Um, and it's maybe uh, not a coincidence, though, that uh, at the time, the Atlanta mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, was being considered as a vice presidential running mate to, to Joe Biden. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, there's always political implications. And, and this is something me and you have talked about and it's come up over and over again is why did the governor single out Mayor Bottoms? His office says there's an easy explanation is that in, in that um, you mentioned 15 other cities passed mask mandates and um, including small towns, including mid-sized cities, including the biggest city in the state, Atlanta, and including suburbs. Um, but Atlanta was the one that, that, in their view, took it a step beyond with what they call uh, phase one guidelines, which encouraged restaurants to limit dine-in service, encouraged residents to stay home if, if they could, uh, and encouraged other um, economic restrictions. The mayor said, that, look, these are, these are not mandatory. These are voluntary guidelines. And she felt it was necessary to take that additional step. The governor said it sowed confusion um, in businesses and, and, and his office, you know, pointed to one or two restaurants that, that temporarily shut down as a result of those orders. So um, you have a you have a difference in opinion there. But clearly, I think I think it's obvious for for me and you to say um, that political reasons um, took took a role, too. I mean, at the time she was looked at as vice as a vice presidential nominee. She's one of the the the, the leading Democrats, not just in the state, but in the southeast. She's a top Joe Biden surrogate. And and Brian Kemp, despite his differences with 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 President Trump over coronavirus handling in the past, is one of his top allies in the southeast as well. Yeah. Speaking of Trump, the day the lawsuit was filed, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, I believe Trump visited Atlanta that day. And uh, there are pictures of him, you know, arriving on the tarmac there with no mask on. And the mayor pointed that out. And it was, you know, within a few hours, I think, that the lawsuit was filed by the state against the city of Atlanta. Correct. Yeah, and I was there on the on the tarmac when the president arrived, um, and I will say that Republican officials around him were wearing masks, including Governor Kemp, including Senator David Perdue, and including Senator Kelly Loeffler. But no, the the president was not wearing a mask, and um, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, went on CNN and said he is defying uh, by the city's order because the, the the Atlanta's airport is on city of Atlanta property. Tell me about uh, what's in this new order that uh, the governor has issued over the weekend. Before that happened, there is a sort of a untangling of, of the, the, you, you saw um, Olive Branch from, from Mayor Bottoms. She, she went on the Tonight Show and revealed for yeah. the first time that, that they had talked about settlement negotiations. You had a court ordered mediation that you've been covering very closely. And it kind of went nowhere. Um, they said there was a stalemate and um, a court hearing was canceled. Um, so they were sending signals that they could be moving toward towards some sort of agreement. But it looks like nothing, um, nothing really gained traction. Now, I was talking to the, the city side over the course of that weekend, and they were kind of stunned about how the court ordered mediation that they were required to attend really didn't happen. Um, and... You know, it was within days later that we we're hearing that the governor was withdrawing his lawsuit and was going to issue an executive order. You have great sources and you'd learned that he'd be issuing a new executive order that um, would clear the way for cities to do this. Um, so that just happened just over this past weekend, right? Yeah, what a weird situation. You have, you have a lawsuit filed by the state, uh, Governor Kemp and Attorney General Chris Carr, 
um, went to mediation. There were settlement negotiations. They didn't go anywhere. And then suddenly the same state and city that sorry, the same state and AG that filed the lawsuit withdraws it before there's even a, a single court hearing. Um, so um, very bizarre. The, the attorneys for the Democratic Party of Georgia that were involved in this said they'd never seen anything like this happen before. Um, the governor's office says, look, there was a stalemate. Um, they, they said Mayor Bottoms wasn't coming to the table in a, in a, in a way that they, they, they thought they, she should have and that she wasn't making clear that private businesses were going to be protected. So he was forced to sign this executive order. In the mayor's view, um, that's all unfounded, baseless claims. And that, but she is, she is, she was happy that the governor dropped the lawsuit so that the state and the city could focus on coronavirus uh, containment rather than fighting a, a legal feud over how to do this. So you're right. Over the weekend, right. the governor signed this executive order, and it really clears the way for local mask mandates. Um, just weeks after he explicitly outlawed them, now some cities and counties who meet certain thresholds um, and do certain things follow his guidelines. Can, can impose mask mandates. There's a couple other timing issues, too, that I thought about as you were um, covering this, Greg, is one is his executive order was about to expire this weekend, so that was forcing him to act. Uh, but the other thing that was going on was uh, our colleagues uh, at the paper, they got a leaked document um, of the White House task force on coronavirus um, that was you know, critical of Georgia's handling of this and said that it should adopt a public mask mandate, right? You got it. And that, that was Scott Truby who obtained uh, the leaked federal white. This is from the White House's coronavirus task force. Um, so these are the, the scientists that are that are speaking with and advising President Trump on his coronavirus response. They said the state was not doing enough to combat the, the spread of the disease and said that, among other things, that a mask mandate should be um, applied in Georgia, as well as limiting in uh, dine-in services at restaurants, closing nightclubs and bars, and some of the other things that Georgia has done has has, has relaxed its restrictions on over the last few months. Um, I don't know if that was part of the pressure on Governor Kemp's office to do this, um, uh, because the report was a couple days old before we reported on it. But at the same time, clearly he's been see- hearing a lot of pressure, not just from from science, scientists and Democrats and the usual, but also fellow Republicans who note that in other Republican-led states like Texas, like Florida, um, some others around the nation, in South Carolina, they're, they're, they're letting, the governors there are letting counties um, uh, go their own way on some of these restrictions, like, like doing mask mandates, like, like, uh, like in, some, in some senses curfews and other, uh, other measures the county leaders say is, is what's best to contain the virus. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just neighboring Alabama, uh, Republican governor, deep red state, has also um, instituted a mask requirement. Now, this comes at a time when, you know, some regions of the state are just really struggling. Um, And one example that we wrote about over the weekend with my colleague, Ariel Hart, is this um, region of Hancock County uh, in Georgia, the, the county seat is Sparta, they have the highest death rate in the nation per 100,000 residents. They're just a, a tiny county of around 8,000 people. And they have around 30-some-odd deaths from COVID-19 and around 300 infections. Um, so what's happening now is that these cities and counties uh, are watching what Governor Kemp has done. They've been closely watching the legal battle with Atlanta. And now that he's cleared the way, they're moving speedily uh, to enact their own mask requirements. I just talked to the 
the mayor of Sparta uh, yesterday and uh, exchanged emails with the chairman of the Hancock County Commission, they both said they'll be moving forward with, with mass mandates. Um, they have large populations of retirees and African-Americans, both groups that are disproportionately affected by this pandemic. Yep, and let, let's talk about what those, because um, the governor sets out pretty specific guidelines for, and it's very confusing. And it came out late Saturday night, so yeah. uh, Saturday evening. So um, very confusing. Um, a lot of folks are, are wondering exactly what the guidelines are. So let's talk about them because first off, any city or county government can, without, without meeting any other guidelines, can just simply say now that masks are required on city-owned property. That means city hall, that means you know convention centers that are city-owned, that means recreational facilities that are city-owned, where, wherever, wherever, whatever government property um, exists in that city or county, um, if, if the city or county passes an ordinance saying that masks are required on those properties, uh, that's the rule now. And the governor's lawsuit had put that kind of into question because 100 cities and counties had already passed similar ordinances. But when the governor sued the city of Atlanta, um, the Georgia Municipal Association, among others, said, hey, what does that mean for, for, for cities and counties that simply want to enforce this on their, on their property? Um, so that clears up some of that confusion. But secondly, it says that if cities and counties want to do a broader mask mandate, they can if they meet these guidelines. One of them is they have to have a certain threshold, a certain um, uh, rate of coronavirus that right now all but two of Georgia's 159 counties meets. So that, you know, pretty much every, every community in Georgia um, meets that threshold right now, but that could change. And secondly, well, among the other things is that it limits fines to $50. It requires authorities to issue a verbal warning before um, issuing a citation. It says no jail time. And it says that um, the mask mandates can only be applied on private business property if the owner or manager consents to it. So that, that means that if the city of Atlanta keeps its mask mandate on the books, which, is, which it will, um, if the owner of a, of a restaurant says, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't wanna, um, I don't want the mask mandate in force here, then authorities can't cite anyone for not wearing a mask in that in that restaurant or business. Um, but on the other hand, if 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 a if a restaurant or business owner says yes, you know we we abide by the city's rules, then then uh, then technically an officer could come into that restaurant and cite someone who's not wearing a mask after issuing a verbal warning. So very confusing, but it does clear the way for a lot more communities um, to uh, to roll out their own mask mandates. Yeah, we just um, traded emails uh, this morning with the Georgia Municipal Association um, and heard back from Larry Hansen, their executive director, and he said that they're anticipating a number of cities and counties will move forward with you know policies regarding regarding masks. You know, the example is in Sparta. You know, the mayor there. When I talked to him, he said we've got like I don't know six or seven employees. I think is what he said in that small city hall. Uh, building there. I visited him there recently and he said, if you know one of us gets it, that'll just really shut down the entire city hall if it were to spread. So they're pretty nervous about this affecting their own workforces, uh, uh, not including what we're talking about out in the public. And when I talked to him, he said, "If when we move forward with this, the, the idea is to get compliance. Um, they're really concerned about people who are out in public and who cannot socially distance. There'd be exemptions, he said, for example, people who, of course, are in their home, right, um, with you know, with their own families at home. But if they're out in a grocery store, he said, or 
or somewhere in public where they can't stay six feet apart. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's, there's, it's a good point to remember. These mayors and these county commissioners are not just looking after residents who voted them in that office, but they're also looking at uh, staffs of, 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 of employees. And in some small places, it might just be a handful. In big cities like Atlanta, it's literally hundreds, you know, of and thousands uh, of employees. Um, I talked to over the weekend the Cab County Commissioner, uh, Chief Executive, I should say, Michael Thurman, who, whose county also passed a, a mask mandate way back in July, um, and um, he said that he expects an avalanche was his term, an avalanche of of cities and counties now to follow suit. And already you saw the Sandy Springs mayor, a, a Republican named um, Rusty Paul, say that yeah. his city will quickly adopt similar guidelines now that the governor has issued um, his executive order. And, and I don't know, I, I'm expecting a lot more to follow suit now that the sort of the, uh, the floodgates have been opened. Yeah, I agree. You know, and a number of large businesses have instituted mass requirements. I and mean, we're talking about large retailers and one of the wrinkles in all of this, Greg, that you know we've uncovered is, is while these large corporations were moving forward uh, in the retail sectors, there were smaller businesses that were concerned about having a level playing field with each other. That you know, if one one uh, business required it and the other didn't, would that put them at a competitive disadvantage? And if they, one of the ideas they suggested is just make it consistent for everyone. You know, require mask you know, citywide or countywide, so we all have to abide by it, and we don't have to be the bad guys. So it'll be interesting to watch uh, how the smaller businesses and other corporations, you know, respond to this. Uh, will any of them balk at requiring masks on their private property under Kemp's order, or will they all, you know, go along with this? That's a great point, because a lot of the smaller businesses we've talked to have expressed the concern about they want to cover you know, they, they don't want to be looked at as the bad guys um, because we, we there have been um, issues around the country, around the state of Georgia, where people who refuse to wear masks make a, you know, uh, make a stand and say that they should be served by this restaurant or they should be allowed to go into that business even if they're not wearing a mask. And without a government order to do so, um, without those that, that, you know, the clearance of, 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 of the governor of Georgia or other authorities, um, there's been a lot of confusion on the ground. And so now some of the businesses we heard from over the weekend said, Thank- thankfully, now there is, there, in some, at least the cities that adopt these, the, these guidelines, um, there is a uniform standard. Um, there, there's less confusion here. So uh, what, what do you see the next steps aside from, you know, what the cities and counties will do? Uh, uh, what, what is Kemp going to do next on this? Yeah, it's a great question because the lawsuit's gone. The legal feud with, with the mayor of Atlanta is over with. Um, there's there's no threat of a of a of a court order that goes against you know that that kind of weakens the governor's powers, but at the same time there's there's no chance of a court order that cements the you know in his view the right to to um, to supersede uh, local ordinances. But I also think there's going to be some. It'll be interesting to see whether or not his special session moves forward, because yeah. to me one of the reasons he even um, called a special session was to get some leverage in that court case with the, with the mayor. And the last thing the mayor wants to see the governor do or the state of Georgia do is get more state control over the, the Atlanta airport. And that seemed unlikely to, to the get-go because you know, you're know you talking a very condensed special session um, uh, and, and it's not a universally loved idea from even Republicans. Um, but now that the lawsuit's off the table, will the governor still call lawmakers back for a minimum of a week 
um, you know, in the, over the next few months to come back to Atlanta during a pandemic, leave their businesses, leave their campaigns behind in some cases, um, to pass a measure aimed at hurricane Michael relief that they could really pass the first month of the legislative session in January. So I think that might be um, some of the other fallout. And really, you know, uh, mayors and, and county commissioners from around the state will probably flex their muscles and say, um, okay, we wanted the mask mandates, but what else might they want to do? Might they want to try to impose curfews? Might they want to um, take it in other additional steps that the governor is not willing to take? Will there be another sort of legal showdown over that? That's my big question. Yeah, that's a good point, Greg, is uh, on the curfews, for example, I've interviewed a number of small rural communities that instituted curfews because they were trying to stop things like house parties, which it's kind of inexplicable that that would happen in middle, during a pandemic, but they were the cause of some of the spread of the coronavirus. And they were having, in some of these small communities, police go and break up these parties to, pr to protect these people and prevent the spread of COVID-19. But the governor's executive orders have um, essentially made that impossible uh, for them to enforce these coronavirus, these, um, these uh, you know, people preventing people from going out in the evenings. And the curfews uh, were essentially blocked um, because no one could institute anything uh, more stringent than what the governor had ordered. But the second thing that you alluded to is, isn't there potential for actually more legal battles down the road on this? What if a city or county decides to do something more stringent than what the governor is allowing of this executive order and say, you know, institute fines that are uh, higher than $50? Doesn't, isn't Savannah's fine higher? And what if um, they decide they want to enforce it on private property with the business owner um, rejects it? Um, what, what happens then? I think you've, you've talked to a constitutional law professor about this, Greg, where there's even some question about whether Kemp is on shaky legal ground still. Uh, with what he's trying to do. Yeah, and that was a constitutional law professor from Georgia State University, Anthony Christ, who, who mentioned that, um, yeah, at first glance, um, there could be legal issues with his standing in trying to um, limit what cities can do to contain the coronavirus. Um, and, and in many senses, the ball's in, the, in all these individual cities' courts now because they're, you know, they got the, the new order over the weekend. Um, now they're going back to city halls and, and county commission meetings. Um, and right, Savannah has a $500 um, fine, um, among other things. Does Savannah go back and limit its fine to 50 bucks? Um, you know, that, and that's just one of the communities. Um, other communities like Sandy Springs, which I mentioned earlier, are going to hew their new guidelines directly to the state's executive order. So they're, they're not going to try to go above or beyond um, anything the state has done. But other communities might want to. Uh, they might feel emboldened by, by Kemp's withdrawal of the lawsuit. And that might beget more, um, more legal action down the road. So a lot of these cities have really interesting choices to make. Here, one other thing that we should note is, we have to probably do this again soon, but um, me and Alexis Stevens, one of our um, crack criminal justice reporters, um, contacted 15 law enforcement, all 15 law enforcement agencies for all the, uh, the, the cities and counties that had um, passed mass mandates. We didn't find a single citation was written. Um, so in many sense, these, these mass mandates are are either symbolic, unenforceable, however you want to see it, um, they're not being enforced yet. But what public science experts say is just the fact that they're on the books, the fact that they're out there sends the message to residents and to businesses and to tourists and visitors and everyone in between to wear masks um, at all times 
to, to stem the spread of the disease. And let's face it, you know, we talked about the divide among businesses and how nervous they are about, you know, being inconsistent with each other, one requiring a mask and another not requiring a mask and the competitiveness between them. But what about just how politicized masks have become and what will it do, um, you know, with more cities and counties requiring this mask for just people being more conciliatory toward, toward each other over this topic? Because uh, it's highly divisive. Um, uh, the mask, again, has become politicized. So if it's required, you know, perhaps there'll be less bickering and arguments over this that uh, everyone's got to do it. So there's really no choice. Um, so you just have to do it. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like voting. Um, when I was interviewing people who were waiting in line for five, six hours to vote, they weren't interested in the blame game between Secretary of State Raffensperger and county officials over who who is at fault. They just wanted to be able to cast their ballots. And I think to, to a large degree, you know, the residents in Georgia, you know, they, they, they kind of watched the, this legal feud um, uh, with a dim view because uh, they just wanted, look, the governor and the mayor both agree that masks are necessary. They just differ in to degree to the degree uh, which they should be enforced. And I, I think that took away from the message overall, which is wear your masks is important. And even if President Trump didn't wear his masks when he when he had visited Georgia not so long ago, Governor Kemp was, Senator Perdue were, was, Senator Leffler was, top Republican yeah. officials were, and certainly the top Democrats have been wearing their masks um, at any public events, the few public events they've been at. All this, all this entire pandemic. What's your prediction, Greg? Though about whether there will be more legal challenges? Don't I would think, just looking at this realistically, what is it for them to gain from going back to court in the public's eye in a campaign season to expend this political capital again um, and get black eyes in the process? Wouldn't you think they maybe would try to avoid it, or uh, is it so people so fired up that it's possible more lawsuits will come? I mean, what Kemp is trying to frame the governor's office is trying to frame him as is is a champion for private business, um, yeah. a, a champion for, for, for those, those small businesses that were struggling during the pandemic. I mean, that was this, his, his reason way back in April to start reopening those close contact businesses that were closed during the pandemic, even as, at, the, at a time when no other states were, or few other states were taking similar action. So if there's an attempt maybe at a curfew or, 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 or economic restrictions that were seen to be damaging, that he, that he sees as damaging to private businesses, that's a scenario where I think he could go plunge back into a court battle. Um, but again, the, the ball's in a lot of these city and county's courts and whether or not they want to take that step. Uh, we've seen Athens has been one of the more aggressive. They, they passed, that's Brian Kemp's hometown. They passed a mass mandate. They've sought curfews. They've sought um, well, earlier bar closing times and a compromise was reached for last call in, in Athens bars just a few days ago. Um, so uh, that's a city that I'll be keeping a close eye on going forward. Uh, certainly whether Savannah ends up limiting its fine um, uh, or, or taking other uh, precautions or other changes. Um, but yeah, I think, I think uh, other than that, I don't, I don't know what, what governor's office sees it can, it can gain from another, uh, from the optics battle over over trying to fight mask mandates. And let's, uh, you know, not forget the context here, you know, what we're dealing with. It's still a very serious situation that we're in. At this point in Georgia, we have just over 230,000 confirmed infections, 4,700 deaths, and 20, 22,000 hospitalizations. 
we saw just recently um, a few days in a row, right, where there are more than 100 deaths uh, being reported for COVID-19 per day. I think they were the first and second highest um, number of total deaths in one day, right? Um, yeah. There are some glimmers of good news, though, we're seeing is like, um, you know, the number of newly reported cases, this is over a, a seven-week period, that's actually gone down slightly. Uh, but the, the number of deaths, the, the really, that was quite alarming to see that. Yeah, and the rate of hospitalizations has, has gone down a, a bit too, has eased a bit. So that's been another positive sign. But you're right, you know, we're far from out of the, the middle of this fight. Um, everyone acknowledges that, including Governor Kemp, um, including top Republican and Democratic officials, that they were nowhere near the, near the end of this fight. Um, and we're in the middle of a second wave that's far higher than the first wave. And kids are going back to schools in some cases, or at least back to virtual learning. Schools have been forced to close. The governor um, has resisted uh, ordering mask mandates throughout school districts as well, as we've reported over the last week or so. Um, so really, we're right in the middle of this fight. And this is a fight that, that, that you know, our, our kids will be telling their grandkids about, which is always just surreal to think about. Like my six-year-old will be talking about this 50, 60 years from now um, when she's recounting her childhood and, and all the crazy steps that, that they, she had to take um, to get her first grade education in, right? I mean, yeah. we're in uncharted, I know it's I've been said a million zillion times, but we're in a new normal, uncharted territory, all that, all that still remains true. Yeah, and I, I, your point is really interesting about the history of this is that, you know, we're talking, you know, the Spanish flu pandemic of the early 20th century I was just researching my family's uh, family tree on my mother's side, and I've got a, a grandfather who was born right before the pandemic and survived it, you know, as a young child, but lost relatives to it. Um, so certainly we're going to be talking about this uh, in the years to come. But in the immediate future, Greg, there are some potentially troubling situations ahead. You mentioned the schools closing. The third Cherokee County High School has closed because of the spread of COVID-19. They've opened uh, to face-to-face -face learning and online learning, you had a choice. Uh, most chose face-to-face -face learning and now a third high school is closed. But we're also approaching the flu season. Um, and the concern is, is a twindemic, um, I think is the word they've been using, is people you know, dealing with the effects of the coronavirus pandemic and, and the flu and potentially overloading hospitals. So I gotta imagine Kemp and these cities and counties are all watching this nervously. Yeah, and the governor's been having um, regular phone calls with, with the CEOs of the state's biggest hospital systems. Um, county commissioners have been linking up together and talking about strategies to, to try to stem the spread of the disease. Um, city, city, city council members and mayors have been doing the same thing. And then when lawmakers come back in January, um, they'll be facing a completely di different political uh, reality, right? I mean, um, we don't know what will happen in November, but there could very well be a new president. There'll be new members of the Georgia legislature and there'll be new priorities um, for the for, for e if President Trump wins the reelection or if Joe Biden wins, there'll be new priorities for whoever is in the White House in, in January. Um, and those will trickle down to Georgia and Governor Kemp will be full on in the middle of the start, I should say, of his 2020 2022 reelection battle, because that will essentially begin um, really the moment. Um, the, the the next president, whether it be Trump or Biden, is inaugurated. Yeah, I wonder, you know, how does Camp, how does Governor Kemp proceed 
uh, if Biden is elected uh, president? What what kind of course of action does Kemp take? Um, you know, I he's been criticized by Trump on the other side of this about moving too far ahead, right? Yeah, he's been criticized by Trump. Um, very thorny relationships between those two camps for a little bit. But then he kind of, you know, unsaid his criticism and denied ever saying it, even though it was on video. And, uh, and um, you know, and then sent, sent Vice President Pence down here twice in a week to, to assert the same message over and over again, which is Georgia is a model for how coronavirus, the coronavirus response should be. Um, yeah. But you're right. I mean, the, the party in the White House usually suffers in the midterm election. Uh, we saw that in 2018 um, here in Georgia um, to a degree, right? Uh, closest governor gubernatorial election in decades, um, a, a, more than a dozen state legislative seats in the suburbs flipping and, uh, and a U.S. House seat in the suburbs flipping. Um, so, you know, in some sense, Kemp's best reelection strategy is hoping that Biden wins the presidency and then he can just run against the president Biden um, for the next few years. And whatever policies he comes out with, whether it be economic policies, whether it be pandemic policies, whatever his approaches are, running against them and, and trying to rally conservatives and winning back those those moderate voters in the suburbs that the Republicans have, have really struggled uh, to, to court. And hasn't Biden been outspoken about, um, you know, the importance of mandating masks? Yeah, Biden has uh, regularly tweeted uh, that the nation needs a mask mandate alongside pictures of him wearing face covering. So a lot to digest. And we're at the start. We're at the right, right, right there with the Democratic National Convention. Next week, we'll have the Republican National Convention. So, plenty more politics and, and, and coronavirus and everything else to talk about. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be with you, Greg. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to ajc.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.